I think we're doing about six, possibly seven church services on a Sunday in six or seven different locations. Wow. So we would start first thing in the morning and have a service and load up in the back of the, the Hilux. We could fit probably about 15, 20 people in a five-seater Hilux um, in the Solomon Islands because they don't have any rules, of course, about sitting in the back, which was another great thing growing up. You sit in the back tray and stand up holding on, looking out over the roof of the car as you drive down the highway. It was tons of fun to a seven-year-old. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we would just pack up, drive to the next church and have church, then pack up, drive to the next church, have church, and, and off we would go. We'd stop somewhere for lunch and then just keep going, get home early evening. So Sundays, Sundays were quite tiring, I think, for my parents. For me, it was just a big adventure. Welcome to the Hacker Podcast. My name is Greg Hackathorn. I hope you all are doing well. I delayed in getting this one out to you guys because we were celebrating my wife's birthday this past weekend. And also we had a public holiday in New South Wales on Monday. I'm not sure if it's because the whole state was celebrating my wife, but we had that day off and it's normally my editing day. And I decided that I would, uh, instead of dividing my attention between the podcast and the family, I'd spend the day with the family and then get this out to you guys a day late. So uh, sorry about that, but I'll look look to uh, getting it out to you on Tuesdays moving forward. Today we are joined by Jason Gratian. He is the pastor of Hope Divine Pentecostal Church in the beautiful city of Cairns, which is in North Queensland, right up there near the Great Barrier Reef. He is the son of brother and sister Gratian. They are missionaries to Vanuatu, but they in the past served as missionaries to Solomon Islands and Papua New Guinea, and they went to Solomon Islands when Jason was just a boy. Jason, along with his wife, were aimers to Vanuatu as well before answering the call to pastor in Cairns. This is an interesting conversation about life on the mission field, as well as learning to answer the call of God for yourself. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me tonight. Hey, uh, my pleasure. I'm uh, actually quite excited to be on here. I feel feel kind of special, so thanks for having me. I'm not sure what we call this. It's not a hackation, or what was that that you uh, came up with? <laughs> yeah, hack, uh, hackation, I think, or <laughs> I can't remember now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so good to have you on the podcast. Uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to have this conversation with you. Uh, mm-hmm. Normally, uh, with these conversations, we like to start off with giving a bit of background about yourself, mm-hmm. just so the listeners get a get a, a bit of an idea of where you're coming from and the sort of worldview that you bring to the table. And also, your background is especially interesting, being a missionary kid, for those who uh, don't know you. And so we'd like to dig into that a little bit tonight, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, sure thing. Um, you're right, I was a, was a missionary uh, kid, and um, it's always an interesting upbringing i was only about seven when my parents went to the solomon islands mm. and uh growing up growing up in another culture is very different i actually think it's quite a privilege um because you get a different perspective and outlook on life um but that's not to say it doesn't have its challenges right um so you know i remember 
being only, yeah, like I said, seven years old and we landed in the Solomon Islands. Uh, Brother Jacobson was with us. We went to the hotel room. Don't think the water was working or something like that. We'd gotten off the plane. Um, the whole country, yeah, it's, for someone who doesn't travel, um, you realize after you start traveling that different countries have different smells. Right. <clears throat> they just smell different, you know. Yeah. And the true. whole country smells very different, you know. And I remember just sitting on the bed and just crying myself to sleep that night. Um, mm. Just culture shocked out of my mind. I think we all were. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was interesting. It was good. It was, I remember. Really good. I remember. It, you're 100 percent correct, and and I moved to uh, a westernized country, not like the Solomon Islands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and was that in the 90s as well, right? It would have been 90s. Uh, 1993. I think it was in March we went. Um, so this was before uh, FaceTime, before really even internet. I think we ended up getting dial-up internet at one stage, but we relied on letters and parcels from the post office. The trip to the post office was always the highlight. Because oh, um, wow. you, know, you always see who had, who had sent you a letter or who had sent you a parcel or something. Um, especially as, as kids, you know, you, you wanted parcels. <laughs> parcels were good because, you know, people people back in Australia would think of those poor, poor missionary kids suffering <laughs> over there with nothing there, nothing at all. And right. so they would send you chocolates and lollies and toys and all sorts of stuff, um, yeah. which was great. You know, we like we liked, we liked supporters like that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I was just saying, like, whenever I moved to Australia uh, at, I think it was 19 years old, 2000, end of 2008 into 2009 so internet age social media is already here and all of that world the world's connected but i remember getting off the plane and just uh, we were driving down the highway and just looking out my window and everything's different obviously you know Mm -hmm. different vegetation the roads look Mm -hmm. different Uh, never mind that it's on the opposite side of the road to america where i come from Uh, but (laughs) everything is different but i was still within a western culture and everyone still spoke english and all of that. So I can't imagine what it would have been like at the age of seven, uh, mm. moving to the Solomon Islands. Now, just for our listeners, where exactly are the Solomon Islands? So the Solomon Islands is off the east coast of Australia. Um, I think if you start in the current city that I'm in now, Cairns, and just draw a straight line straight east, uh, you pretty much come to the Solomon Islands. Um, it, I think it was only like about a two-hour flight from Cairns back in the day. There's not a direct flight from Cairns anymore, but it wasn't all that far away. Hmm. Um, Yeah, it's just in the Pacific Islands, Pacific Ocean, rather. Right. So, yeah. And do you remember it being, obviously you're a bit younger, but do you remember it being isolated or did you you guys have um, many Westerners visiting the islands while you were there? We did get get some visitors through, mostly um, either from you know, the States or from Australia visiting us, Brother Jacobson would come through from time to time. Um, But yeah, I think, I think it was fairly isolated. There was other missionary families from other organizations there as well. Um, But yeah, no, it was, it was quite isolated, but you know, I don't really remember that so much as a Mm. kid. Um, You know, for me, once, once I got over that initial culture shock period, for me, it was, you know, just, a great adventure this was exciting mm. you know this was fun no other no other kid ever got to do this as far as i knew um right growing up in another country and learning a different language and playing with the kids in the village and climbing coconut trees and all this kind of stuff is stuff that you know we would never do 
back mm. home in Australia, you know. So I don't really remember so much it really being isolated. I just remember lots of good memories and fun times and and things like that, you know. So what what language do they speak over there? Uh in the Solomons they speak like a it's like a pidgin English kind of thing. So it's it's easy enough to understand if they speak slowly. You can mm -hmm. kind of work out what they're saying, but of course often they don't speak slowly. They're speaking quite fast. Um so we, we picked that up fairly quickly and, you know, mum and dad were obviously trying to learn it too. I was out playing with kids in the villages quite a lot. Um, so I would come back with words that they hadn't heard and we would try and talk it in the house just to um, learn it, which actually had rather funny consequence. My brother, who was only two when we went over there, really learned to speak the pidgin English before he even learned to speak English. Um, oh, wow. So, so Nate, Nate's technically second language is English. Um, although, you know, we soon, we soon realized in the house, Hey, we better speak English at home or Nate's <laughs> going to go back to Australia one day and he's not going to know English. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. It was rather funny. For, so. for schooling over there, did you guys do homeschool or did you go to, to school? No, we did, we did homeschooling. Um, some of your listeners may be familiar with ACE. Um, so accelerated Christian education, I think it is, it's the PACE system. Mm -hmm. So we did, um, we did homeschooling. I did go to a school there that was, um, an ACE school where you went every day and you sat down and did your paces under supervision and you had lunch breaks and you could play with other kids and things like that. I'm pretty sure I was the only, um, the only white guy there. I think oh, wow. everyone else was Islanders there. Um, so that was, that was good. Um, but yeah, mostly, mostly just homeschooling. And, uh, usually I was pretty self-motivated enough to get the work done. And, um, I soon realized if I did it really quickly, I could spend the rest of the day playing. So <laughs> I learned if I get up at like 6am, I could get, you know, a couple of hours work done before breakfast. So <laughs> yeah, that's a motivator for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so what was the church like when you guys got over there? I know we're, we're kind of digging into your memory a bit because you were only seven, okay. but as you were, I guess, growing up, you would have been more aware of the size of the church and, and what was going on. Um, so what was the yeah. church culture like when you guys moved to Solomon's? When we, when we got there, um, from memory, there was one church. It was, it, was quite, it was quite small, but there were a couple of real key um, leaders. The church was at a place called Copito. And there was a couple of key leaders in the church. And I think the church had about um, 30, 40 people in it or something like that. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a big church. And, and I think that was the other thing that was interesting coming from Australia. You know, it was a church with hard wooden pews, no windows. Like they had holes in the wall where the windows were meant to be from memory, but no actual windows. Um, they had a accordion. Is, is the is an accordion the one that you play yep. like that yep. i think that's an that's accordion right. so i had an accordion and a keyboard and a guitar which was a real interesting mix for me i don't think i'd ever seen an accordion played in a church service before so so that was good but you know we did a lot of work on the sundays and there was a lot of preaching points um particularly on the main island of wattle canal um i think on sundays by the time we left that island to move to another island after about two years I think we're doing about six or possibly seven church services on a Sunday in six or seven different locations. Wow. So we would start 
first thing in the morning and have a service and load up in the back of the, the Hilux, we could fit probably about 15, 20 people in a five-seater Hilux um, in the Solomon Islands because they don't have any rules, of course, about sitting yeah. in the back, which was another great thing growing up. You sit in the back tray and stand up holding on, looking out over the roof of the car as you drive down the highway. It was tons of fun to a seven-year-old. Yeah. Um, yeah, we would just pack up, drive to the next church and have church, then pack up, drive to the next church, have church, and then off we would go. We'd stop somewhere for lunch and then just keep going, get home early evening. Um, so Sundays, Sundays were quite tiring, I think, for my parents. For me, <laughs> it was just a big adventure, you know. Um, but yeah, it was good. It was good. But yeah, seeing a, a whole bunch of different people. But yeah, that's incredible. Six services a Sunday, and uh, mm. Mm. many uh, pastors in the West find it difficult to do uh, two services on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. I think early last year, um, when we had the restrictions in Sydney, I think we were only allowed uh, 50 per service. That was max mm. you were allowed in your building, no matter how big or small the building was. Uh, your maximum you're allowed was 50. And so we we normally have two services at our church in Sydney, and uh, we brought in, we did four services, one on a Saturday, three on a Sunday, and we were depleted by the end of that. Mm-hmm. Um every weekend for maybe a month it was so i couldn't imagine mm. six on the same day and not in not in the same building you're traveling and doing all this uh, that's incredible yeah yeah it was um it was pretty amazing and a lot of a lot of times you'd be into the bush to get to these places where the churches were you were off-road four-wheel driving driving over rivers all sorts of things um it wasn't just a jump in the sealed road and drive you know 20k down the road it was it was uh yeah going going bush um, mm. to get to these churches and to preach and um, there's a photo of my dad preaching at one of these churches he's got it still uh, while he's preaching there's a big python um, going across the back of the church no while way. he's preaching <laughs> the mum sort of just lifts the camera up and takes a photo while he's preaching he's kept on preaching <laughs> developed it afterwards and showed him he's like oh glad i didn't see that there <laughs> take that and share it at the next journal conference <laughs> yeah that's it so yeah that was um that was that was interesting you know oh, um, man. but yeah it was uh, it was an adventure so so you were there to how old how old were you when uh, you all left the Solomons? so i was seven when we went there we stayed there for five years so i would have been 12 or 13, I think, when we came home. Um, we came back to Cairns uh, back then. So, What was it like coming back to Australia after that? Obviously, you guys would have you, you would have visited a few times in between, correct, for like conference? Yeah, or... we, visited, we visited a few times. Um, you know, I think we came back once for holidays, maybe twice, and maybe for a conference or two. Um, I do remember when we would come back on those visits, it was – you know, we would walk into a shopping mall and we would just be spaced out so much white, so clean, so polished. It would just play with our minds. Mm. Uh, Nate, Nate especially, he would just, he freaked out when we came back to Australia because he was, when he, he was two when we went over there. So he had no real concept of what a, a mall was like. It was just right. completely foreign to him, you know. When we came back, I think um, one of my struggles was getting back into Australian schooling system. That was difficult. 
um, you know, by the time I'd done five years of homeschooling, I was quite a ways ahead on my studies um, compared to other kids of my age. So when right. I came back, they wanted to put me back into uh, the eighth grade, I think, um, where I was, I was already kind of studying a little bit of 10th grade stuff. So it was it was rough getting back into that and rough getting back into, you know, interacting with people. And I think coming off the mission field where basically church is your life, mm. you know, the work is your life. What you're doing for the Lord as a family is your life. Everything revolves around that. Coming back to Australia and having other kids who are concerned with things that are not church was just, why in the world wouldn't you go to a church on a Sunday? That's yeah. just crazy. It's hard to right? understand, right? Yeah. 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 And, you know, coming back from that, just adjusting to that was difficult, I think, as well. So, yeah. yeah it was interesting. I could, I could imagine, uh, especially Nate, um, you know, being two years old, come back at seven. And uh, mm. that's, you know, all he's really known. Yeah, yeah. I um, I'm not sure what it was um, what it was like for him, <laughs> but uh, for me, I got into high school and um, just tried to tried to fit in as best I could. <laughs> tried to tried to learn what it was like to be a teenager in Australia. So, mm. so your parents also, uh, from my knowledge and understanding, they also spent time serving in Papua New Guinea. Uh, as well as they're now serving in Vanuatu as missionaries, that's correct? Yeah, that's right. So when we left the Solomon Islands, we came back to Cairns, and Dad pastored in Cairns for uh, about five years, and then they okay. went to New Guinea, and they were in New Guinea for, I think, nine or maybe 12 years. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, and then they were in Vanuatu, and now they've been in Vanuatu for another 10 years nearly, I think. So, wow. so they've been doing it for a while now. Um, but yeah, both Solomon's New Guinea and, and Vanuatu as well. So did you, so been around. <laughs> yeah, did you, did you go to Papua New Guinea at all? Did you spend time there? I did. Yeah. I, um, I went up there when I was 19, I'd finished 19 or 18 around that time I'd finished high school and I was a bit aimless. I think it was probably fair to say. Mm. So I ended up going up to New Guinea for um for 12 months lived with mum and dad up in Goroka for a while there you know I helped out a little bit with uh the work that um I don't know it was an interesting time I think I was just trying to work out what I wanted to do with my life and where I wanted to go really at that time so it was good just to be up there and be able to be with mum and dad and you know helped out with helped out with various things and um, I preached a preached a youth camp in Port Moresby when I was up okay, there and that was yeah. my, first, um, my first real uh, opportunity to preach in front of a crowd of people. Um, you know, dad, dad was great. The, um, the district uh, presbyter rang him up and said, Hey, uh, we would like to get Jason down to come preach a youth conference. Do you think he'd want to do that? Dad just said, yeah, absolutely. He'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> so they hung up and he turned to me and he said, Hey, guess what? You're preaching in Port Moresby. Said, okay. Oh, that's great. Oh, it wasn't too bad. Cause I the first thing I said, you know, I said, well, look, how many times are I going to have to preach? Do you know? And he said, Oh, they said, you'll only have to preach uh, two times, maybe three, but probably just two times. Right. So I right. get down there and the first night they stand up and they're like, Oh, we're so 
so honored to have our main speaker here. I'm just like, ground open up, swallow me quickly. And then they come and see me and they say, well, by the way, like the other speakers aren't coming. So it's all you. You're going to have to think five times. Um, And uh, I thought, oh, Lord, I've only got like three sermons prepared that took me like four months to get ready. (laughs) um, You know, my first service I preached for, you know, 30 minutes or something, which is what I'd aim for. My second service was 25 minutes. Third service was like 20 minutes. I'm running out of material. I get get up there. And the last two messages, I preached like 10 minutes. That's all I can manage. But, you know, it was good. It was a good experience. (laughs) Had had you been preaching much before? uh, No, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot at all. Um, You know, it was really, that was really where I started to preach, I think. Was, was that there and then i came back and um you know started to preach a bit more back here in australia but, but that was the first time i'd really ever had to preach um other than you know just giving a word or a testimony or something like that and yeah it was in front of like 200 300 young people <laughs> who are all like my age as oh, well mind man. you yeah you know, oh yeah so, you're you're young you're what like yeah, yeah i'm like i'm like i was either 18 or 19 so i wasn't oh, wasn't like a seasoned veteran um but yeah getting chucked off the deep end it worked i guess <laughs> yeah i could not imagine that my goodness that's a baptism yeah. by fire right there oh yeah 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 it was interesting i um, would very uh, interesting <laughs> i was privileged to go to papua new guinea a few years back with my pastor he was invited to preach at a general conference there and i was mm-hmm. just traveling you know i just wanted to go to papua new guinea and i'd heard so many amazing stories about the place from people like your parents, uh, from, I think it was um, Brother uh, Cole, Billy Cole had shared a lot about his times in Papua New Guinea. And so I'd heard this since I was a kid in the U.S. And I'm like, oh, I jumped at the opportunity to go thinking I'm just carrying a Bible, (laughs) carrying the preacher's (laughs) jacket, you know, accompany my pastor and uh, get there. And they found out that I was a minister as well. And they slotted me in for, uh, one of the main sessions at their general conference. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I get up there to preach and I'm looking out there and I see, you know, a couple thousand faces and I'm just like, oh my. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> you have to preach with the translator? We, yeah, yeah, we preach with the translator. But I mean, they're, they're so passionate there. Uh, yeah. You really don't have to, you, you don't have to uh, be a biblical scholar. Um, to share mm. a, a good word that that's going to bless mm. them, and mm. man, can they worship in, in Papua oh, yeah. New Guinea? Unbelievable! Yeah, yeah. Uh, my phone my phone was filled with videos of just watching them passionately worship. is really cool. I was so blessed to be up there. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing place. So, you spent? Uh, Do you say you spent about a year there? In yeah, New we're, I was up in New Guinea for about a year. So. Okay. And have you spent time in Vanuatu outside of visiting? Yeah. So um, fast forward a few years and I was married by that stage to Janie and we ended up going on AIM over to Vanuatu for 12 oh, wow. months. So, so that's the, um, the UPCI? Uh, yeah, program? we're under the UPCI program under yeah. AIM. So I had to send off my uh, monthly report to... I think it was Brother Buckland and Brother Poitras at the time and um, under the UPCI program, yeah. So we were there for 12 months, which was another great, great experience for us. Um, real time of growth, I think, for both mm. of us as well and a step of faith too. 
So, right. And that yeah. was, so yeah, so that would have been, that would have been after Brother Denny. Yeah, no, that was after Brother Denny because this was, um, when was this? This was 2000 and at the end of 2013 we went. Mm. 2014 we were there. Yeah, it was the end of 2013 we went. We came back towards the end of 2014, early 2015. What was it like um, supporting your dad over there and your, your mom and dad over there in Vanuatu? It was good. They weren't there. Oh, they um, weren't? Okay. No, they were on deputation in the States, oh, and that was okay. one of the main reasons why they needed an aim worker to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the good things about me being over there is that Dad and I, uh, we're, quite, we're quite close. Um, you know, he's, he's someone I certainly look up to and someone who I uh, talk to about a lot of things that are going on and get his advice on. And he always seems to have a good way of looking at things. So we know each other quite well. Mm-hmm. So he, he was comfortable knowing that, I kind of know how he thinks and what he likes and how he likes things done. Um, so it was easy for him to have me over there, but yeah, it was, it was, um, it was really good. It was really good working, working there and working with mum and dad. And, um, you know, it was, uh, good because I learned that, uh, being a missionary is not just, you know, preaching. (laughs) with crowds with people flooding to the altars you know there's a lot of uh a lot of just day-to-day stuff that missionaries do that you know you kind of have to be a jack of all trades almost i think as a missionary you know Mm. it was growing up i learned you know dad taught me how to change a tire on our hilux in the solomon islands because you know we got flat tires all the time so that's how i learned how to change a tire was out in a field somewhere in waddleton now (laughs) you know um I learned how to do some basic plumbing in Vanuatu, you know, because if something went wrong many times in countries like that, if something goes wrong, you just have to fix it. There's just, there's, you just don't have the access to tradies and things like that to fix things. So Mm. um, I learned how to do plumbing. I learned how to use that blue glue stuff that they use. (laughs) um, (laughs) It was fun. (laughs) Awesome. So that sort of wraps up your time on the mission field that that aim trip to Vanuatu yeah yeah after that we um we came back to Australia we had Jonathan and um it was interesting you know because we really wanted to get back to back to being on aim or at least back to the mission field and certainly um mum and dad needed the help uh, there's so much work to be done you could easily have four or five missionaries on each field and still need more, you know, there's always work to be done, but God just kept shutting the door. Mm. You know, we, we tried so many different ways to get back on the mission field. You know, while we were over on there on aim in Vanuatu, there was a policy change at uh, UPCI, which meant we weren't able to progress into the next stage of being missionaries. Mm. Um, so that door was shut and we just couldn't get the financial support. Our personal funds had been expended already. And uh, so we kind of sat back and uh, waited for whatever the next direction was from God, which turned out being pastoring up here in Cairns. So but that's a interesting thing, waiting for direction from God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. What do you believe is the most important thing that you learned from your time on the mission field? So obviously this is ranging all the way from when you were a kid through to oh. early teen years, and then you got your teenage stint in Papua New Guinea, and then you got your married 
couple aim trip to Vanuatu. But what would you say? And it, it could yes. also be what your parents have also portrayed to you yeah. as well. I think um, I think having a good work ethic is definitely important as a missionary. Mm. Um, that certainly got put in put into my into me as as I was growing up. You know, I remember when we were in the Solomon Islands, we we were there with Brother C. Um, I don't have you ever met Roscoe C. He was from Texas. He's he's passed away now. I don't think I did. No. No, I met quite a few listeners in Australia would uh, would recognize the name, but he was he was in the Solomon Islands with us. And when I was a kid, I didn't really pay much attention, but I look back at it now. And, you know, when we're doing those six or seven services, he was, he was not well, but he would still come and he would sit in the spare tire. So the spare tire was in the back of tray of the Hilux and he would, we would put pillows in that and he would sit in that because he couldn't get himself into the um, cupboard, into the, into the cab the Hilux and we would go to all those services and he would get home and he would be just exhausted so tired that one of my jobs was just pulling his boots off because it was just easier for me to do it for him than to him to get down there and take his own boots off so you know missionary work is a lot of hard work Mm. um I think is probably one of the things I learned from it it's very rewarding work as well but it's just sometimes it's just knuckle down and hard work you know Hmm. so i think that was probably one of the most important things i learned you know as as an an adult on the mission field i really learned not to sweat the small stuff um which i'm still learning i think sometimes (laughs) if i'm honest um but you know if in when you're on the mission field if something can go wrong there's a pretty good chance that it will you know, um, we had a, a young man who will remain unnamed who was mowing our lawn and I hear this weird sound coming from the lawnmower and I go out there and the bolt has sheared off the handle on this lawnmower and the whole thing's just rattling. And I said, hey, bro, how are you pushing this thing? Oh, I don't know, I'll just keep pushing it. So he turned the lawnmower off and I turned it over and the bolt or something has gotten into the blade and the blade's cracked and about to come off. And he's just pushing along, pushing oh, along. Man. He's like, ah, come on. <laughs> you know, you just kind of can't, can't get too uptight about all those small things. You've just got to try and um, just get it fixed, you know. Because um, someone's got to do it, you know. <laughs> right. So uh, we, we talked to about your time on the mission field and and you touched a bit about uh, ministering in Papua New Guinea but I'm interested Mm. in finding out uh, when did you personally when did you feel the call to ministry you grew up around church you talked about how like when you were younger you didn't know what it was like to not be you know fully committed to Mm. to church Mm. and, and that sort of stuff but when did you personally feel a call to ministry the first there's two specific occasions in my life i i say this very carefully because you know you don't want to just um flippantly say things but i I believe in my life there's been two very very specific times where god has spoken to me um and one of those times was after i came back from new guinea i was living in perth with um with some people there i was in brother glass's church at the time and 
I had struggled to adapt to coming off the mission field to back to Perth. You know, I remember going to going to a youth camp. I landed from PNG and there was a regional youth camp happening. And um, the glasses picked me up, took me straight out to this youth camp, dropped me off. And I'm with a whole bunch of young people. I don't know any of them. And as I walk in, the talk around the camp was that someone had been stabbed at this youth camp and was on their way to hospital. Um, yeah, they don't, they don't tell you about oh those stories. <laughs> you want to know why Brother Wilmot is so concerned about safety? You know, we, we had stabbings at our youth camp when I was a kid. Oh my goodness. So they're taking him to hospital. It was just a little cut. He had to get stitches. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, my Lord, these heathens are so carnal. <laughs> it's like, I'm so spiritual. I've come off the, come off the, um, you know, the mission field. And, but, you know, I think, I think I really started to get a bad attitude during a bit of that time. And, and I ended up really struggling. Um, I, some, some people know my testimony, some people don't, but I really started to struggle and I was getting to the point of just giving up and walking away from it all, you know, cause it, just didn't feel like I don't, don't want to say this wrong. I'm just trying to think how to put this. I looked around and I felt like people weren't taking things with God seriously. Like I felt they should in all my self-righteousness, you know, and as a result of that, that bad attitude really took root and began to grow. And I started to really struggle. Um, you know, I, I didn't go out and, you know, go clubbing and do drugs and all that kind of stuff. I still came to church on Sunday, but basically I was just going through the motions. I wasn't really involved. I was just there because, you know, I didn't want to embarrass mum and dad, their missionaries, and what would it look like if their eldest son, you know, backslid or something like that. But that's kind of where I was. And I fell into a real dark place um, where I started, you know, thinking about different ways I could end my life and, all this kind of crazy, crazy stuff. And I remember one night was particularly bad and I got out of bed and I got out on my knees and I started praying and I'm glad, I'm glad God is um, approachable Hmm. and merciful because I got angry with him. You know, I, I said, you know, this is ridiculous, you know, and I poured it all out and basically said, look, if, if this is real, if anything I've been taught is real, then you need to show up right now and make a difference in my life. Well, that's it. I'm, I'm quitting. I'm not even going to bother trying to pretend anymore. I'm done. I'm going to go live my own life. I'll do my own thing. I'll just ignore you. And bro, God showed up in such a way, just an incredible way, completely changed my life around. Those thoughts were gone. I've never struggled with that ever since um, in a night my life was turned around. And it was at that moment, really, I thought, okay, that's it. Now I know this is real. This is not real because mum and dad have told me it's real. It's not real because I've seen it happen to other people. It's real because now I've experienced this, you know, and I was, I was baptized. I was filled with the Holy spirit already. Um, you know, but I'd allowed myself to really just get distant. And at that point, you know, I really, things really started turning around. You know, I went, I went to my pastor and I said, look, I want to help just anything, whatever you want me to do, don't care. Just put me to work. Let me do something. Let me help. So I think I ended up teaching Sunday school. I had a group of, uh, I think I, I think I was teaching the, let me, was it junior youth? 
No, 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 no. It wasn't junior youth. It was the five, six, seven, and eight year olds. I got started in Sydney doing junior youth. Uh, (laughs) Little did I know it was the class no one wanted to teach. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So yeah, so that was that was really the moment where it was like, okay, I'm I'm definitely called to ministry and I'm just gonna serve. And really that's kind of all I've ever done ever since that is just where, what can I do? Where can I where can I work? Wherever you need me to be, that's where I'll be. I'll do whatever needs to be done, roll my sleeves up and get into it because now it's not about my parents, it's not about others, it's not about tradition. This is about me and my relationship with God, and this is real to me. So I'm getting into it now, you know. So that was really the first time where um, I knew that I was um, going to be in ministry. And I didn't know all the details, you know. And I often think we don't know the details. I don't think God lays out everything we're going to be doing in ministry, probably because I may have freaked out. But, you know, it was enough for me to know that God was real and he wanted me to work for him. And so I just worked wherever I could put my hand to work, you know. Um so, yeah. And then there was a specific time in Vanuatu where I felt God specifically call me to say, hey, I want you to pastor. Mm. Um, you know, and that was that was in the morning before Bible college. I was teaching Bible college in Vanuatu. And so my practice was to go down to my dad's office um, before we would have devotion uh, for Bible college. Before the students would arrive, I would go down there read my Bible, I'd pray, have my quiet time down there. And it was on one of those times I was praying, kneeling on the floor and God specific, like he sat me up. I was, he specifically spoke and said, I want you to pastor for me. Again, he didn't give me any details. He didn't, he didn't say, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And here's where you're going to pastor. And here's the revival. You're going to be nice if he said that, you know, Um, but you know, I knew I was going to pastor and that was just so specific. It was crazy. Um, so that's that was another time where I felt God specifically give me direction for what he wanted me to do. Yeah, unfortunately, he doesn't lay it out step by step exactly what you're going to be doing. Uh, no. That's where I guess that's where faith comes in, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what advice would you give a young person who feels the call to ministry? Hmm. I think um, oh, there's, so, there's so much I can say, but I think for me, something that's been really, really key in my development, something I still have today is I have people in my life who um, I call and talk to. You know, God's, God's will will always be contained in his word, um, but it's also good to have people who have the authority to speak into your life. Hmm. And I, I actually, I'm a firm believer in actually really calling that out to somebody and saying, hey, you have, I want you to know you have the authority. Will you be willing to take the authority in my life and call out? If you see something that I'm stepping out of line, I want you to pull me back into line, you know, and actually really call that out. And I've, I've always had three people who um, I've had in my life. I've always, I've found three just to be a, a good number, um, just you know, and it could be a youth leader. It could be, would be your pastor. You, you know, you're under a pastor. You want your pastor to be one of them for sure. But, you know, your pastor, your youth leader, and and I, I don't know, someone else maybe. Um, get your pastor's advice. You might have some advice as well. That, and I think, you know, maintaining 
maintaining your own walk with God is so mm. important. You know, when I went through that period in Perth, I lost perspective because I wasn't focused on building my relationship with God. I'd kind of assumed because of my upbringing that it was okay. Mm. Once I realized it wasn't and God showed up like he did, I realized then, okay, I actually need to work on this. And I need to spend time with God. Mm. Um, I need to, I need to pray. You know, <laughs> it's, it's the common thing pastors always say, right? right? What do I do if I want to draw closer? Well, you need to pray. You need to read your Bible, you know, mm. as those Sunday school songs are, are true. Yeah. Read your Bible, pray every day, you'll grow, grow, grow. You know, mm. I think that, and then the only other thing I think I'd, I'd add is be willing to say yes, you know, um, to whatever it is, you know, young people often, and, and I was the same. We put caveats on how we want to serve God. Well, God, I'll serve you here. And here, but I don't want to do that. You know, that's either beneath me or I don't feel qualified to one or the other, mm. you know. Um, but I think learning to say yes, you know, and that's that's the approach I took with with uh, Pastor Glass over in Perth. I went to see him and I said, look, you just get me to do whatever you say. I'll say yes. You know, so they said, hey, can you teach Sunday school? Yes. Hey, can you sing as a worship singer? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> sing you know <laughs> singer but sure i'll sing you know, mm. can you lead worship i've never led worship before but yes absolutely i can lead worship you know um so just yeah say yes you yeah know, i agree to, i agree wholeheartedly yeah just say yes just say yes i'll do it yeah yeah that's one of the things that i really like to stress with young people is make yourself available for mm. whatever you know you're not nothing's above you nothing's below you so make yourself mm. available. If, if someone is trusting you with something, you know, as long as you, you have a walk with God, as long as you do have a, a uh, consistent prayer life, you know, if, if you're asked to do something, yeah, make yourself available. Give yourself the opportunity Absolutely. to be used by God. Absolutely. And, you know, something else I could add to that is, is as, as a pastor, I love it when people come to me and say, hey, pastor, I've seen a gap here. Do you think I could jump in and fill that? Mm. Oh, I love yeah, people like that. Amazing. You know, it's a lot amazing. of people sit back and say, well, you know, if, if God moves on the pastor's heart, he will ask me to do that. Yeah, it just doesn't work like that. You know, we've got a lot on our minds. Just yeah, come and exactly. save you, see a gap, fill it, you know, jump in, you know, roll your sleeves up, get the work done, you know. Um, so, you know, young people, talk to your, talk to your pastor. Say, hey, pastor, I, I want to help out. Where can I help out? You know, put me to work. You know, you want me to sit in the door? I'll sit on the door. You want me to sweep the church? I'll sweep the church, you know, whatever. But don't sit back and say, well, God will speak to my pastor. And perhaps we hide laziness under spirituality sometimes. Mm, it's possible. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So you, uh, you, as you've mentioned a few times or alluded to, you're now pastoring a church in Cairns, and I've been privileged yeah. to visit you guys up there a couple of times. One, once for AYM, and then actually my last time ever on a plane was to fly fly up to Cairns last year. Uh, really? It was March wow. last year. It was the last time I've been on a plane. It's crazy. But uh, mm. uh, we were up with you guys in Cairns. How's the church going up there? It's going good. We are in the middle of moving buildings, um, you know, for those who who follow us on Facebook, 
you know, you'll see that uh, Hope Divine is in the middle of moving. And um, so right now our current church building is an empty shell because we were renting a shed. So we've just been uh, doing demo work, pulling down the walls and the lights out and all this kind of stuff. And we're about to start working on a new building, um, which we'll, we're renting again still. Uh, but it's nearly not quite double the size, but getting close to the size we've got now. So awesome. it'll be good. It'll give us a couple more Sunday school rooms. Um, it'll give us a bigger auditorium. It'll give us a little foyer area. So, so it's going to be good. Um, so, yeah, but it's, it's going good. You know, COVID, COVID's been interesting. Um, you're learning how to live stream and things like that and um, all that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going well. It's going well. That's amazing to hear that that, that you guys are, are growing and, and getting into a bigger facility, especially, I mean, I'm not sure how many of the listeners would be aware. Obviously not all listeners are from Australia, but you guys are in Cairns and you guys have been hit quite hard by the COVID restrictions that Australia has put on. Obviously your, your city itself hasn't had as strict of lockdowns per se, but mm. because Kansas relies a lot on tourism, uh, yeah, that right. really hasn't been happening for you guys. No, it hasn't. And domestic tourism, thankfully, has picked up quite a bit because, you know, if you can't go to a tropical location overseas, you might as well go to a tropical location in Australia. Right. But with all the lockdowns we've got happening down south now, we're seeing a lot of cancellations across the hospitality and tourism industry, which has been been interesting for us. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's a bit of pain up here at the mm. moment. So. Yeah, we've been wanting to get up there, but it's just we we we've had one trip, uh, a family holiday, since COVID, and we went to the Gold Coast, but we actually, funnily enough, stayed uh, in New South Wales in Tweed Heads. We made sure to book our hotel in Tweed Heads just in case the border shut down. We could still go to, you know, go somewhere around there and still have a holiday. We would just miss yeah, out yeah. on going into the Gold Coast. That's how crazy it's been. It's just it's always up in the air. You know, one week is completely fine in a couple of cases, and there you go. Mm. You know, it happens quickly, doesn't it? It does. So, do you believe that? Uh, and I, I think I know the answer to this, but do you believe that life on the mission field prepared you for pastoring for your role that you have now? <laughs> Bro, nothing prepares you for pastoring. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 I'm joking, of course. Although, you know, I, I do remember the glossy brochure that the executive board gave me when they asked me to pastor and it doesn't match what's happened, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I th look, I think, it, I think it has. Um, if anything, it's, it's taught me that, you know, it's just hard work. You know, you just, mm. you know, pastoring is often not glamorous. Um, everyone looks at pastors and, all they really ever see is the pulpit ministry. They don't don't see the hard work that happens in the backgrounds, the meeting with this person or filling out this government form or taking care of this or making sure your insurance is up to date and all that kind of stuff, particularly for the smaller churches where you don't have um, people who handle all that kind of stuff. So, so I think being on the mission field where you kind of just learn that Hey, I've got to just take care of all these little bits and pieces, catch all the loose, um, you know, fill all the loose gaps that are there. Uh, I think that's kind of helped, helped me prepare a lot for pastoring. So, 
you mentioned earlier that your your parents pastored in Kansas as well. Is that the is it the same church that you ended up taking over? In a, in a manner of speaking, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a bit of a story behind all of that, but yeah, it is the same church. So okay. there's been a church in Kansas for at least thirty years, mm. possibly even more than that. Brother Jacobson started the church up here from Townsville. Um, you know, so so yeah, it's, that was it was the same church and. Um, there is uh, there is one elder in my church, him and his wife, who I remember when I was in Cairns as a teenager, and so um, it's it's good to look back and see them in the church, and they remember my parents very fondly, and having them in church has always been good. You know, it's just a blessing to see them still living for God. You know, yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, a lot of continuity there. So. Mm. I like to ask this question to everyone who comes on the podcast as a guest. What drives mm. you when it comes to ministry? Um, I'm not sure if some anyone else has said this, but for me, it is seeing people's lives changed. Mm. You know, that's what gets me out every 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 day. It's what wakes me up in the morning and. I'm, I'm bivocational, so I work a full-time job as well. And there's always this understanding that you have a higher obligation than just the company, you know. And every time I have a meeting with someone, every time I meet with people, um, you know, it's always there watching for an opportunity because you just never know when you get to have a conversation with someone about the Lord. But, you know, it's when you've when you've been working with someone and you've been teaching them Bible studies and mentoring them and you know i remember there was a lady who still living for god she's uh in another upc a church now she's moved away for work but you know i witnessed to her for nearly three years before she came to church wow. you know and um when she did start coming to church she had so many questions i, I don't know if she'll probably listen to this podcast because she knows it's me but um <laughs> listen to this interview but you know, she we we did a six week Bible study with her that lasted eight months. Every Wednesday, almost. You know, we would we would get like two sentences in and and oh the questions. So you know, and that investment as you build and build and build and build, and then seeing someone, you know, actually starting to live for God and seeing the changes that happen in their life. I mean, that's what that's what it's all about. You know, that for me anyway. It's just mm. seeing seeing people get closer to God and people grow and people learn and and ministries develop and that's that's exciting for me. You know, that's yeah. really what yeah. drives me when I see that because that's that's what that's what we do. That's why we do what we yeah. do. That's what know? it's all about. Yeah, exactly. Seeing life change. Mm. Well, I've I've really enjoyed this conversation and, and getting to know you even more. You're, you're a friend of mine. Uh, but I learned a, f a few things here talking to you. And I like to finish off these conversations, giving my guests the opportunity to share a word with the listeners, something that God mm -hmm. has laid on your heart. Um, so whatever you feel like uh, God has given you for the the listeners, I'd love it if you would share it and uh, take your liberty, bro. Okay. You know, um, when you asked me to, um, go on the podcast. Of course, I knew this question was coming. So I started praying and um, thinking about it. And, you know, we look around at what's going on 
in the world right now. And there is, I think you, you said it earlier, it's so uncertain, you know, you don't know when the borders are going to suddenly shut and, and uncertainty is probably the key word right now. We just don't know what tomorrow holds. Um, and yet the fact remains that God hasn't changed. You know, he still needs people willing to serve him. He still needs people willing to labor in the field, even in this environment that we live in. And it's interesting, you know, in, in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And the disciples, if, if you think about what the disciples had been through, they'd just seen Jesus crucified. Then they'd seen him resurrected. Mm. Um and he had told them that persecution was going to happen. Their lives had been completely changed in the three years of Jesus' ministry. I think it's fair to say that the disciples were facing a lot of uncertainty in that time as well. And it's interesting that Jesus uses the word go for me because I think there's something implied in that. Every time Jesus had said go to someone, the power of God was there. You know, Jesus said to the blind man, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And he was healed. You know, go show yourself to the priest. You know, um, over and over again, through all of his miracles, he would tell them, go and do this, go and do that. You know, he sent his disciples, go, you know. And I think when the disciples heard those words, go, they understood that what Jesus was saying is, I want you to go out, but I'm going to be going with you. I'm, I'm going to, my power will be with you. My authority will be with you because just like it was when I was here, when I would perform my miracles, I would tell people to go and there was a power and an authority behind that. And I think as we look around with uncertainty, people are tending to withdraw into themselves and go, well, I just want to try and survive this. I just want to try and get through these days, but God is still calling people to go. And he's not just saying go because we need glory or because we've got nothing better to do, but he actually has a work for people to do. And it requires us to step out in faith, but understand also that God will be with us. And you know, the Bible says he will never leave us nor forsake us. That hasn't changed. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, you know, we can trust that when we step out and go, we can trust that God will be with us and his power will be with us as well. You know, we, we can't hold back in this season that we live in. I look around and it can't be long till Jesus comes back. It just can't be. You know, this is so clear to me that any day now um, God could come back and that would be the end of time. We're running out of time. We've got people to reach. You know, you look at what's going on in Afghanistan. You look at the earthquake at um, Haiti and all this kind of stuff that's going on. It's just we've got work to do. And so we need we need more people to say, okay, well, Jesus has told me go. I'm going to go. I'm going to make a difference. Even if it's just to one person, I'm going to find someone and I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to go teach a Bible study and understand that when we say these words, when we actually go, God's power is with us, you know, because we're stepping into his will and doing what he wants us to do. What a great conversation and a wonderful example of what God can do in us and through us if we step out by faith. If this blessed you, please share it with a friend and encourage them to follow the podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and a number of other platforms. Just search the Hacker Podcast and you should find us. We're releasing content every week, so the best way to keep in touch is to subscribe uh, where you listen to it or follow the podcast so it goes directly into your podcast feed. 
If you have time to rate and review the show where you listen to it, I would greatly appreciate that. Thank you again for your time today, and we look forward to seeing you next time on the Hacker Podcast. Thank you.